morning. This morning, this Lord's, the last Lord's days, we have heard some sermons considering what it is to be a church, how and why of gathering on the Lord's day as a church. Pastor Matt has shown us from the word and Christian witness, the background to the Christian Sabbath, how it continues and transforms in the New Testament. And that is, it is the whole day and not just the Lord's hours. And then there was a somber teaching on the warnings to neglect or to have a low view of the Sabbath before Gideon continued to show us who it is that gathers on the Lord's day. On, it's the Lord's bride, a community for the glory of God. And today we'll see who makes up that community individual believers. I recently had an assignment at the seminary where I study where I had to write an email to the deceased Steve Jobs, the founder and, and uh, governor of Apple. And uh, he gave this speech at a college and my task was to, to commend to him the truths of Christianity in the light of the speech that he gave as if I was a student listening in on the commencement speech. So he gave three stories from his life to inspire the students. That was basically, trust karma, love what you do, and you will die, so don't live another's life. What struck me in those three stories was, it was so sad, it was the, the a sense of defeat in the stories. Steve Jobs was a Buddhist for much of his adult life and he only believed in the now. And he even said that death was life's best invention because it would give room for new continuation. So I wrote to him about hope, the hope that Christianity gives. And this is what our text today will also speak about because we will see hopelessness for those without the gospel and the sure foundation of our hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. John Calvin speaks of the benefits of a union with Christ in his Institutes of Christian Religion, where he points to the twofold benefits of Christians through the union with Christ, justification on the one side and sanctification on the other side which, as he points to, are intimately related to the process of restoring the image of God in Christians. We'll see in our text today that justification and sanctification are the two sides of the same coin. They come as one, yet there's, they are distinct. So we will study justification and sanctification in the Christian saint by studying Ephesians today, 2, 11 to 22 where we will look at sinners sanctified as saints, which is also the sermon title for today. Sinners sanctified as saints. We will follow Paul's argument and look at three things this morning. I'll point us to verses 11 to 13, where else where we'll study strangers reconciled to God, following 14 to 18, Sinners justified through the cross. 
And lastly, we will look at saints growing in sanctification. And we'll get through them one at a time. First then, strangers reconciled to God. The letter of Ephesians was circulated all through Asia Minor, which is now the modern-day Turkey or Syria, that area. There was some, some uh, theories that it was written specifically to the Ephesians. Some say it was written to everybody, and this is the Ephesian version of the letter, but it was, it, there's no concrete greeting to a person or to a church, so we can safely assume Ephesians for ourselves and apply it to our lives as we can also the Bible, but here it's speaking, Christians hear this. In Ephesians, we see it, the themes of reconciliation between mankind and God through Christ, and how this special call plays out as the church. In chapter 1, Paul establishes the value of our salvation in Christ, and the blessings we get from it. Paul opens up in Ephesians 1 with a prayer and praise to God, he says, In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Christ, and then to the praise of his glorious grace, and praise that we might know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Speaking of Christians. In the beginning of chapter 2, Paul reminds us that we were dead in the trespasses and sins. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with, with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. And for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we might walk in them. This is what Paul wants us to keep in mind as he opens up with verse 11, because he says, therefore, he wants us to remember, we were dead. God, in his great love, bought us. He has made us alive with him in Christ. Therefore, remember that you Gentiles, non-Jews, also us, at one time were called by the earth uncircumcision, were called uncircumcised by their circumcision. And that at the time of the spreading of this gospel, there was a great divide between those who were Jewish Christians, those who were, had lived as Jews and had turned to Christ, and those who were Gentiles who had also turned to Christ. The Jews who outwardly were the people of God, yet inwardly often lacked true faith, and the Gentiles who outwardly at least were ungodly. Then, as now, the people who cling to the gospel were not united truly in the body, the church. We see division then, and we see division now. It was a major issue at the time, and we've all seen it in our lives, Christians not wanting to treat one another as siblings in the faith. That was and is one division, man towards man. Another division is man towards God. Remember that you were separated from Christ, alienated from Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That is also as true today as it was then. For people are foreign to 
not included in the covenant. Those without God have no hope. They're separated from Christ. They are estranged. They are as strangers, excluded from the rights as citizens, meaning the privileges, the blessings, the resources, the duties of God's people. Strangers to the covenants with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, they had no pro they had no part in the promises of God. Without God in the world, forsaken by God. As one put it, they were Christless, Christless, they were stateless, they were friendless, hopeless, and godless. Some of my of us might live as if we do not have any hope. There are those in the world who do not belong to God and do not obey him, who do not repent and believe in him, who have no hope. And on the other hand, there are also Christians who sometimes live as if they had no hope. We've spoken about practical atheism before, living the Christian life, but almost forgetting who we live it for and who strengthened us in this work. As I said in the beginning, that I said that we were, we had work prepared for us that we might walk in to the glory of God, but we forget who we walk to and who prepared the steps for us. Martin Luther, the reformer, once sat in his basement in despair and sorrow, and his wife came down to him, all dressed in black, mourner's clothes. You would dress in black after someone had died. And uh, Luther asks why she was dressed such. And Katharina responds, God is dead. And Luther answers, like, a little harshly, maybe, like, that is utter nonsense. God isn't dead. And she asks him, then, why are you so solemn? If, as if God was not active and working in the world, that was her way of showing him that he was non utter nonsense. He was living as if God was not alive. Verse 13 in our text. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Paul wants followers of Christ to know how God has transformed their lives how God has given them a spirit of wisdom and revelation of the knowledge of him, as Ephesians 1.17 says. Having the eyes of their heart enlightened to know the riches of the glory of Christ's inheritance in the saints, 118. Or as Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, that he does not want Christians to be uninformed about those who are asleep, that they might not grieve as others who do not have hope. I've told you this before, but this is one of my favorite phrases in the Bible, that, but now, this is the turning point, this is where hope is kindled to, from Paul to us. Paul speaks of people who are far off, but now have been made come near. When Jews in that time would speak of a renewal of their seal to God, or even foreigners who wanted to become Jews, they often spoke of, I want to come near 
I want to be in fellowship with God. They spoke of it as a physical destination. Let us treat it as such also, that we have been brought near, as we sang earlier today. We sang of the city of God, and we have come near, Paul says. They and we were enemies, but while we were still enemies, Christ died for us. He reconciled, he restored friendly relations between, he made us consistent with him, so to speak, where sin had once severed the friendship, the fellowship, I mean, sorry. We were reconciled in Christ to be in Christ. This offer, this reconciliation, this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. This was possible because of Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross. As Colossians 1.20 says, that he reconciled to himself, making peace by the blood of his cross. And Romans 3.25, that Jesus was put forward by God as a propitiation, atonement, appeasement by his blood to show God's righteousness because he formerly had passed over former sins, but they are now covered by the blood of the spotless lamb. This should leave us astonished, awestruck, that enemies who are estranged, hostile, unworthy, filthy, haters of God, far off from him, were made to come near by Jesus. 1 Peter 1 says that we were ransomed from our futile ways, silly ways, as we humans sometimes invent, yet not with perishable things like money, gold or silver, as it says, but with the precious blood of Christ. All those whom belong to Jesus has been made to come near, to fellowship with one another, but first and, first and foremost with Almighty God. The only thing that is far off now for Christians is the sins we once clung to. They are now far off, as far as east is from the west, it says in the Bible. Paul later in Ephesians calls Christians to walk in, in light as children of light. Because at one time you were darkness, but now you are the light of the world. Ephesians 4 to 6 speaks about walking as new creatures, and I encourage you to study that on your own time. But two questions then from this point. Are you in Christ? If you are, welcome to the community of believers, the church. You have been brought out of sin and brought near to the creator and redeemer of the universe. I would encourage you and exhort you, point you to what you should do in the Lord with Paul's words Make sure you walk as children of light. Are you not in Jesus? Come to him. He is a sure salvation and the only hope of sinners. Come as you are, for it is his glory, for his glory he will save you. 
by his grace. It's not for your benefit. It's for his glory. As Jesus himself says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Your only hope is Jesus. My next point then. Sinners justified through the cross. Verse 14 says, For he himself is our peace, who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. He is our peace, our Irene Greek, to join that which has been separated from one another. Inner peace, or in Greek, as you might know, Hebrew, as you might know, shalom. Peace, our shalom, our wholeness, our wellness, our peace. Jesus is our peace, he who made peace possible, both for Jew and for Gentile. Ungodly people distinguish between people groups, having different worth, different value, but Christ has made all one. That was the way they distinguished in, in our biblical texts. It was Jew or Greek, it was Jew or Gentile. That was their distinction. Now in modern day time, we have many other inventions, but Christ has made it so that it's one group and they become one in Christ. No longer Jew or Greek, Jew or Gentile, we are all both one. We are all Abraham's seeds and heirs according to the promise. Or Galatians 3, verse 15. By abolishing the law of commandment, oh sorry, that is heirs according to promise in Galatians 3. And verse 15 continues to say, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. The middle wall of partition had been broken down in the Old Testament temple, there was divisions in the building, in the, in the entrances. You had the gate of the Gentiles. They could only go in there. They could never go in any other direction. To do so would be death. When the people of Israel was, was created, you might say, God, they were given laws to distinguish themselves from every other tribe on, on earth. God said, you are my people, you will be mine by doing this. But now, the ceremonial laws, the sacrifices, the symbols, the washings, the letter of the law, Israel to be set apart, they were fulfilled in Jesus. The wall is now broken down and the two groups are made one. So we as Christians must also be one. There must be no divisions in the body of Christ. There must be no Jew or Greek. There must be no Indonesian or Norwegian. No South African or American. We are one in Christ. And the point of it, verse 16, was that he might reconcile us both, the new one body, to God through the cross thereby killing the hostility. That is what justification is. We are made right. We are made just in God's eyes. 
through and in Jesus. A Christian is one who trusts in and rests his case, his soul, on Jesus' righteousness, not his own. You may remember Jesus telling his disciples that they needed to have a righteousness bigger or better than the Pharisees. This is what he spoke of, his righteousness. Because the disciples might have been discouraged, thinking, well, the Pharisees, they pray this many times, they pray this long, they give this much offering, they, only, they always follow the letters of the law. But Jesus says, no, they're not, they're not righteous. They're just keeping the letter of the law. You need a greater righteousness. We need his righteousness. When we are in him, he covers us with his righteousness. It's still one of the best images I've heard on justification. It's one that is attributed to Luther, how he described how the wicked, sinful life is covered by the blood in the same way a muddy field on a farm full of manure is covered by a blanket of white, pure snow. When you see the field, you will only see the snow. You will not see the mud. You will not see the grass or the manure. You'll only see the white, sparkling, clean snow. That is how God sees us, beloved. Not because anything in us, but because of Jesus, whom we are covered by. We are in Jesus now. And so all God sees is Christ's righteousness, his cleanliness. And that is the grounds for our justification. That Philly was killed at the same time when Jesus gave up his life as a sacrifice. We are reconciled to God. These are the called out ones, the ecclesia, which is the Greek word for church. Church in Greek is just the, the called out ones. We Christians are those called out ones. A church consists of individuals bought free by Christ. continue in verse 17 and he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near for through him we both have access in one spirit to the father for through him we have access to the father justified now we are all we are allowed access to the father he came and preached the euangelo sorry greek Euangelizo, he preached euangelizo. It's very close to the euangelion, which was the good news. He came and preached peace to you who are far off and those who are near, both Gentiles and Jews, both those who are near God and those who are far off. The Trinity here gives us a full picture of the complete justification, being in Christ through the Spirit to the Father. We have access it's a prosagoge in greek usually usually meant as access to high officials as a judge as a king or as a lord one who could save you from financial troubles prison or even death we have access to god we have access to the highest official there is the Lord of all the earth and heaven. It is sin that bars 
the gate, our sin, disallows us from coming to him. But Christ came and dealt with it. We offended God by our outrageous sins. Even the tiniest sin is ultimately offensive to an all-holy God. This message came to those who were far off and those who were near. Paul quoting from our Old Testament text in Isaiah 57. Peace, peace to the far and to the near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. A Christian is a stranger reconciled to God and a sinner who is justified through the cross. Matthew Henry once said in his commentary, Christ purchased for us leave to come to God and the spirit gives us a heart to come and strength to come, even grace to serve God acceptably. The Old Testament quote Paul gives was originally spoken to Jews in the land, those who were near, and to Jews of the dispersion, those who were cast off and being brought out as uh, prisoners of war. So he speaks to the Jews who are there and to the Jews who are far off somewhere else in captivity. But Paul sees the ultimate fulfillment of this text, the promise to be the peace of God being proclaimed to both Jews and Gentiles alike. So the, the promise God made to Jews who are near and far, Paul applies that to those who are near God and those who are far off, the Gentiles. And this access we have, it is usually meant coming before a judge, but it's more likely that Paul is deriving from the Old Testament sacrificial system where an offering were brought to the presence of God. If the offering is a burnt offering from the herd, you're to offer a male without defect. You must present it at the entrance to the tent of meeting so that it will be acceptable to the Lord. By Christ's perfect sacrifice, we have gained access to the Lord as we are now acceptable in Jesus. And so we have peace with God. We are sinners justified through the cross. The final portion of the text in Ephesians today is verse 19. So now, so, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You then, the people Paul wrote to and us now, we were strangers and aliens, but we have been made to be fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, members of Christ's church, the mystery of all ages. The church is compared to a city, to a household, where every converted sinner is reconnected to be, become a welcome citizen with all the rights and privileges to it, and where every converted sinner is counted as a saint, as one of the family of God, a servant and a child in God's house. You would not feel comfortable having strangers going around in your house because there is an alienation between you. There's something foreign between you. But getting to know them or even just forming a familiar bond with them, they will, have, they will have become members of the household, say, like an adopted child, 
Ephesians 2, we have seen our lost condition, the amazing salvation of God, he rem the reminder that we were Gentiles separated in the flesh and spirit, yet now we have been brought near. We see here that the justification leads to sanctification. So justification is being counted as right. Sanctification is growing up into being right, you see? We are counted holy in Christ and are being made members of the household without earning it, never being able to do so. And we will never become right enough, but still we're changed, changed bit by bit as we're being built up brick by brick, built on the foundations, as it says, of the apostles and prophets in effect, verse 20. Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple of the Lord. And I'll say this once again, justification is being seen as right, being almost given a seal or stamped righteous. Sanctification is not to grow up into perfection, but it is the changing of one's life in the life led by the Spirit. So we become more holy, but the ultimate goal is never to become holy because we will never be until the new creation where we will have sanctified bodies and our minds will be renewed. So we have been, sanctified, been justified in Christ and we become sanctified in the process of our lives to the church, with the church, by the Holy Spirit. Again here, the church is compared to a building laid on the teaching of the apostles and prophets and then again being built after and laid after Christ, Christ's chief plan, he himself being the cornerstone. When I was working as a land surveyor, we always, always prioritized when we were out in the field, when we were setting down, here's where the building is supposed to be. We always marked the main corners of the house, all the main walls, because from them, we knew that you can measure every wall to where they were supposed to be. As long as you had a frame, you could always know, okay, this wall is supposed to be this far from this, and this is to be this. We always framed the building. We made sure that the cornerstones were set. And so Christ was that cornerstone in which the temple of God is being built up. Gideon has given us two messages on the church and here we see the logical outflow of that teaching. Christ saves up us and he builds us up. We grow up into a holy temple as it is almost being built up Christian by Christian. Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone the, and the cornerstone was not like a little tiny little pebble like this is it where it is. The cornerstone was usually like a grand, it was the biggest, it was the finest rock. It was large to mark out this is the building. But Christ determines who the body is. And we are being built up together as we grow up into a holy temple. Becoming not a secret society, but a sacred society. Where there's communication and fellowship across the pews and up into heaven. Where people gather, worship him, serve him, love him. And also love and serve one another. Growing in grace and piety. Before we were strangers and aliens, even to one another, 
but in Christ, he has made us one. Verse 22. In him, you're also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Wherever Christians gather, there God is with them. Every Christian is considered a living temple, and also in the fullest sense when they gather together as living stones built up to be the temple of the Most High God. God, who made everything, made the world and everything in it, being Lord in heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, Scripture tells us, but he has found a suitable dwelling in the believer. He is now dwelling with us, which is one of God's names, Emmanuel, God with us. We now experience it partially, and we will one day dwell with him so much fuller than now in the creation to come. The church is, the church now, it is not, as one put it, a haphazard pile of stones randomly dumped in a field. God arranges the church for his own glory and for his purposes. We are those stones, not haphazardly just thrown somewhere. Oh, it doesn't matter what the church is doing or who it is. No, the church and every believer in it is, oh, it's incredibly important because it's for God's glory. God dwells there with his people. So let us treat the church as God's holy dwelling place as we are all made up to be that dwelling place it is holy so we should treat the church as such a temple set apart for god here we are called to as we can read in hebrews 13 15 to 18 that we have no lasting city here on earth that we seek the city that is to come and we are to continually offer up sacrifices of praise to god that the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. We are to do good and share with one another for such sacrifices are pleasing to God as we live a fellowship in fellowship with one another, not as strangers and aliens. With the guidance and teachings of our elders, for they are keeping watch over our souls. They are having to give an account to the chief shepherd himself one day. John Trapp in the 1600s said that the father makes choice of a house, of his, of his house, the son purchases it, or Old English, purchases it, and the Holy Ghost taketh possession of it. The church is compared to a city. Every converted sinner, a dweller in it, is compared to a house, and every converted sinner is one of the family. And finally, the church is compared to a building founded on the doctrine of Christ, delivered by his apostles and prophets. God dwells in the believers now and guides them in life. The verse prior to our text, verse 10, tells us how, because we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do, do good works which God prepared in advance before us to do. Finally then, let us reflect on the mystery of life without Christ. Separated from the people of God, cut off, alienated, having no hope, 
no justification and to go out into the world with a hope against this. There is a name by which you must be saved. That name is Jesus. The wicked and godless is far from God, hating him. Yet while even when enemies, Christ died to make strangers reconciled to God. Christ and his covenant that are, are the foundation of our hope. That is why Christian lives in this world with hope. Because we have Christ and his covenant. We who have been reconciled to one another and to God. Let us love, let us love one another and let us give our life to love God. We are reconciled because we are sinners justified through the cross. Christ purchased for us leave to come to God and the Spirit gives us a heart and strength to come, even grace to serve God acceptably. And we have been allowed to come near to God. We are brought near, not able to do it ourselves. We are saints growing in sanctification up into a temple, a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So, Christians, beloved, let us grow together, learning what it means to be the people of God. Let us fix our hope on Jesus, devoting ourselves as holy temples to God, never grieving the Holy Spirit, yet being built up in the Spirit. Through Jesus, aliens become citizens. Strangers become family. God-haters become people who love him. Those who are far off are brought near. This is what it means to be sinners, sinners sanctified as saints. What a hope we have as Christians because of Jesus. Let us pray. Holy God, we who offended you in our sin, in our former ways, you found us far off. You reconciled us to yourself. To yourself. You justified us. You sanctified us. And you allow us to live day by day, honoring your name, although imperfectly, and loving one another although imperfectly. Help us, Lord, and guide us to love you more, to love one another more, as we are reconciled to one another as fellow Christians, follow fellow brothers and sisters, and as we are reconciled to you, our most ho holy God. Lead us as we go about our day this morning and the continuation of our day, serving you, serving one another, all for the glory of Christ and for the benefit of your people. As we pray, 